Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Grace and peace. Glad y'all are here. Um, we uh, find ourselves in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Um, I think this could uh, at least be in contention for one of the uh, saddest chapters in the Bible. Uh, disappointing chapters. Uh, if you're reading the story for the first time, I would find it, I would think it's a little bit unexpected. Um, and so, uh, in light of that, I want us to return back to uh, a psalm that we've prayed a lot uh, during our time uh, with David, and that's Psalm 131. Um, and as we pray that again, and just kind of allow it to keep rolling around in your head as we uh, go through. Uh, the David and Bathsheba story uh, this morning. Let's pray together. Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll pick up in 2 Samuel 11, probably next to the David and Goliath account, the most famous or notorious account of David's life. It really comes on the heels of what we did in chapter 10, that David is not, well, I'll just start in scripture. Um, 2 Samuel 11. The following spring, the time of the year when kings go to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to destroy the Ammonites. In the process, they laid siege to the city of Rabbah, but David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So remember we talked about last week, there was this bizarre... Uh, revolt on the part of the inbred Ammonites and they had hired mercenaries uh, real high class mercenaries these Arameans from the north uh, these were warriors far outclassing anything that Israel had done but David with God's help uh, was in the place that he was supposed to be and so he defeated these incredible mercenaries that eventually in the future will destroy Judah, but David, using his gifts, his abilities, being who he was, was able to turn uh, the, sort of the pages of history and stop them. But the Ammonites, these inbred hillbillies that walled themselves up in a city are still there. And in a sense, it's David's responsibility to deal with this, to, to, to solve the problem. But David just doesn't 
for whatever reason, want to mess with it. He's, he's tired. He doesn't want to go to war. He doesn't want to do what God made him to do. Uh, and, you know, stop and think about this for a minute. If you were writing a story about a super king, right, a hero, Robin Hood, King Arthur, would you ever include a story like this? I mean, this is the reality of Scripture. Uh, God tells the truth. Uh, This man after God's own heart has another side of his heart. And so it's so important in the beginning to to grab onto this. He is not in the place that he's supposed to be. You can be who God made you to be, but if you're in the wrong place, things are going to go south. Things are are, going to happen. So, Question. I want you to ponder this because I want you to root this back, this whole story back someplace else. What is the first question God ever asked a human? Where are you? What? Where are you? Kurt, you get the gold star this morning. What, where are you? Good job. <laughs> that seems like a benign question, right? But I think it could be a great spiritual practice for us to allow God to ask us that question every day. That's good. Where are you? And I'm not talking about you're here in the room uh, with us on Tuesday morning for Bible study. But there's a, a more fundamental uh, relational and spiritual question that's going on. And yet, David maybe doesn't just doesn't want to do something or, or be, but I think there's probably something more fundamental going on in David's soul in his relationships for him to make a choice. Like Pastor Kurt's always good about reminding us that our life with God is always about a series of choices, right? And so David is not allowing God to ask him that question. He is not in a place where he is supposed to be or should be. Where are you? Come in. Powerful question. I mean, again and again, where where are we? So David is not in the place that he's supposed to be. God has equipped him with leadership skills. He is, I remember we talked about this a lot with David. He is, I think, a great warrior because he has a a way of flanking, of doing the unexpected, of uh, not, you know, like he did with Goliath, not facing strength for strength, but finding a way to work around and be strong where the other person is weak. Makes him an incredible commander, makes him a credible leader. But now the same skill that God gave him to be a great warrior is going to destroy several lives and eventually really destroy David's life. So God can gift you, and if you use those gifts in the wrong area, it becomes a curse. Look at verse 2. Late one afternoon, David got out of bed after taking a nap and went on a stroll on the roof of the palace. So man, he's he's keeping up with the army, right? They're off fighting, you know, laying siege and taking a little afternoon siesta, you know, oh yeah. Not exactly what you want with your king. A little bit of the uh, 
the architecture, the uh, almost uh, location of what they're talking about here. Um, obviously, Israel can be hot, and if you if you don't have air conditioning, you don't have airflow. To be inside can be really, really hot. And so, what they tend to do in in Israel, uh, in in terms of of architecture. There is a, a movement of air, of uh, the, the jet stream moves uh, <clears throat> from the west to the east in Israel, and it's, they joke it's the Israeli air conditioner, so the, the front sort of will come through, and you can pretty much set your clock by the time that the, the, the water, the, 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 the jet stream will bring the cool air from the water into Israel. So like in the coastal areas, it's usually about mid-morning, about 11 or 12, and you'll just get this kind of nice cool breeze. Uh, later in the afternoon, a little after lunch, you'll start to get it in the uh, mountain areas. And so Israel really builds um, like second story windows um, sort of catch this breeze. A lot of times they'll uh, have uh, sleeping areas on the top. They'll they'll build homes uh, with second levels, so they're getting this breeze. So that that's what David is doing. He's um, he'll have a shaded area, and then that breeze is trying to, to come up. What's the first thing that David built in terms of big construction for himself in Jerusalem? It was the temple of God, right? No. Nope. 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 They never built it. What did he build, big and nice? Yep, his his palace, his his uh, his mansion. So you have not only a bigger but a higher uh, area, and again, you've got this nice, cool area. So he's got the highest building in in the area in in Jerusalem. So uh, his real estate is high. You're higher than any other uh, structure. Uh, It's cooler, it's nicer. Um, Israelites are very modest people, and so they're not going to bathe out in public. Uh, They really don't bathe inside the house either. If your house is made of mud brick, can you take a bath in the mud brick? You know, you've got uh, a dirt floor. So they have courtyards, right? So uh, we'll we'll find out why Bathsheba is bathing. It's it's not just she's taking her morning bath. There's stuff going on. Um, But she would be in a courtyard and she would be bathing. Now, it would be private, right, because it's a courtyard. It would be private to everybody except for who? The guy with the big house. The guy with a huge house, right. So in a sense, his role as king, his role as um, the, the wealthy guy gives him a vantage point. But if he hadn't been taking a siesta, if he hadn't been, oh, I'm looking out the wow, look what I see. So, so very real, so very sad. Um, he wouldn't have seen what he did if he had been in the place he needed to be. Yeah. So. Ponder, before we go uh, too much further, ponder a little bit 
just two or three times that as we've been going through David's story where David was in the right place. Come on. It's not, this is not hard. During battle. Yeah, during battle. When, when he was yeah, doing the things that Kurt talked about just a while ago. Particularly, which battle? With Goliath. Goliath. Right, yeah. Yeah, he was nope, where nobody else could do what was being asked. David did. And remember, uh, when we went through that, uh, what is that really an image of? Going back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Remember his armor was like that of scales, right? So like David, or Goliath is really in this story is becoming the image of the snake. And how does David kill, kill Goliath ultimately? And what does the prophecy say back in Genesis 3? That he is going to, that the snake's head is going to be crushed, Right? That is definitely, and so it's like this building, oh, David's in the right place. He's our Messiah. He, he, is, he is the one that is going to save us. Right place. Any other time that you can think of that David is in the right place? Besides the battles, seems like that those are it. When was David like at his absolute best? He was so excited. Yeah, and and how did he look? What was his appearance when he was dancing? Priestly garments, practically naked. Ooh. What's the first mention in scripture of somebody being naked? Adam and Eve, they were naked and they felt no shame. You see, David is, is he's taking the, uh, the ark into Jerusalem and he is dancing with all his might, right? Acting as a priest. Uh, he is where he is supposed to be. And so it's like this, this story is like very much overlaid. This is like the human condition being replayed again in David's life. And you're like, oh, there's all of this hope that is building up and building up and building up. And now we find David in a not good place. But not according to him. (laughs) So continuing on, as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. So just like Steve is saying, these echoes of the garden are, are incredibly strong. Eve looks at the fruit, and it appears good to her. Uh, They're having this same kind of echo. Bathsheba is unusually tov, unusually good. Uh, He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now there's a lot there in the genealogy. This woman is married to one of David's 600. So Uriah is not an Israelite. He's a Hittite. He's one of these mercenaries that fights for David. A Hittite is a... 
there's so many names here, but he's basically from Turkey. Um, they, they used to be a superpower. They've been crushed uh, by the sea people, uh, so they're refugees everywhere. They used to be a rival for the Egyptians. I mean, they were um, sort of the other major power. So uh, he's, he's a dispossessed guy, but he's, he's one of David's most loyal men. Uh, also, Eliam is another one of David's mighty men. So this is not just a, uh, you know, any Joe Blow. These are his people, uh, his loyalists. And so it really just strikes you as crazy. Uh, David, this is your, your core. This is your, your group here. And you really not ought to mess with, with these guys. But then David sent for her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Now there's no whining and dining, right? There's no, oh, but I'm married. It sounds strange to us, but in this society, when the king asks, uh, you, you do. And God has given David this anointing. Uh, he is recognized as the king now, and this is how he uses his power. Um, it's not good. <laughs> they have, what's what's up with this next verse, Kurt? Is it just like to to ramp it up even more? How how ungodly David is being here? Whenever he, they say now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness because that's not supposed to happen, right? Right, right. Well, she's. <sighs> More detail than we want to know, right? She's you, you don't ever hold back. <laughs> <laughs> she has just completed her purification right after her menstrual period. So that's why she was bathing. When a woman menstruates in the uh, Old Testament, God said that they need to be separated from... Boy, you can't preach this on Sunday, right? Um, she needs to be separated from her husband, put outside of the house because she's unclean. So she has to go and separate herself because it's hard to put up with her. No, that's me adding. Um, and uh, w when it's all done, said and done, uh, she has to go through a purification rite, um, which is what Bathsheba was doing. So she was washing herself. It's the final cleansing uh, ceremony. Um, ironically, this is sort of where baptism starts, as crazy as it sounds. They uh, go into these mikvahs, which are these ritual pools. It's like a jacuzzi, basically, with steps. You just step down in it. Uh, Jews still do it today. And uh, you completely submerse yourself, and you're, you're removing the... Uh, the, the blood, the, the, the taint of sin, really. Um, and so she'll come out of that clean. Um, you know, this is one of the reasons uh, Sunday I'm really looking at uh, Joseph and Mary. And there's no way in the world Joseph helped Mary give birth. I mean, this is part of it. No Jewish man will be there for that because there's the menstrual, there's their blood, right? They cannot see it, touch it. And so the, the weight of all of this is, is really on Mary uh, that she, I think, gave birth by herself. There was nobody else, which is, you know, breaks your heart altogether. But here in this case, yeah, she should be left alone. She yep. should be um, not bothered. But David is not... 
not too bothered. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent a message to inform King David. Oh, crap. It was all fun and games, and now, now we got a baby. So, you're David. You're gifted. You know how to solve problems. What do you do? <laughs> yeah, we can fix this. There's no problem. Where's my slingshot? I'll take care of it. So David said word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Hmm. Then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he left the palace. Um, but Uriah wouldn't go home. He stayed that night at the palace entrance with some of the king's other servants. So what's David want uh, his mercenary to do? Baby. Yep, go home. Hey, good to see you, honey. I got a little uh, leave. Um, things are fine. And, you know, nine months later, wow, we were so lucky. Now, one of the really bizarre things that they know that we're kind of missing here is that God takes the waging of war very seriously. He doesn't do it lightly, um, but when God tells you to go to war, you go to war, and you fight uh, the way that he tells you to fight. One of the rules for the Israelite army, which I've never ever seen replicated, is that men serving the army may not have sex to their entire through their entire military service. Period. Now think about that. What is that designed to stop? Raping and pillaging, which is for every other army on the face of the earth at this time, and probably, well, I would say other armies other than ours, uh, part of the joy, right? I mean, you you get to to abuse, but um, it's 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 part of the command that you are not uh, during the time of service during military service to have sex. Period. Not with anybody. Not with your wife. And so, who is honoring that? The Hittite. He's not even a Jew. He's a mercenary. Uh, are David's men, you know, his mercenaries, are, are they good, faithful, super Christians? Nope. At that time, for sure not. <laughs> exactly. Now, this guy, this guy seems to be surprisingly good. Now, <clears throat> They're different people, but we can basically say like a Hittite is a Turk. I mean, uh, that's the same geography that they live in. You would not expect the Turk to be so faithful, uh, to uh, miss his wife. And what does his wife look like? Yeah, she she's all right. She she's a looker. So. <sighs> You know, David, the man after God's heart, has his own plan frustrated by a stupid mercenary that decides to grow a set of morals, right? Please see God interrupting his little scheming, right? God's like, David, you're not getting off the hook here. You're uh, going to get caught in this. 
But unfortunately, it gets darker, right? You, you guys guessed where David will go. Verse 10, when David heard that Uriah hadn't, when, he, when David heard that what Uriah had done, he summoned and asked him, what's the matter with you? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and his officers are camping in open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I will never be guilty of acting like that. And David says, oh, good, I'm going to write a psalm about you. You're such a good man. Well, stay here tonight, David told him, and tomorrow you will return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance. <sighs> What's wrong with you? So the next morning... Hold on. Sure. Sorry. So go back to verse 11 real quick. Uh, notice the two things that are mentioned there. The ark, when, when, when Uriah is talking. The ark, right? It's, it's where? It's in tents. Ah, I wonder if that would be a good place for David to be hanging out. Right? And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. Mm. Maybe that would be another good place for David to be. And that, th these, are, these are other ways where the story is kind of sticking the knife, in essence, in David's side. And say, David, you are not in the right place. These are the places that you should be, and you are not. Oh, yeah. Crazy stuff. So let me do a, a deep dive here. And I only show this because of my, my faith in you guys. You are doing real disciple work. We're, we're able to do things in here that I don't think we can do in, in a lot of other circumstances. Scripture is incredibly deep. A lot of times it's more complex than we give it credit for. And that's not, I think, ultimately to be avoided. You really want to to continue to build your skills. You know, it's like going to the gym. The, the more you do, the more you can do. The human soul is a very complex thing. And the scriptures treat it that way. Unfortunately, a lot of times we simplify it because we want to understand it. You know, we have a soul and we have a body. The soul is good, the body is bad. Eh, that's not really correct. That's not the way the Bible presents it. Sometimes in Paul's writings, we get that. You know, the spirit is good, the flesh is bad. A lot of that is because of the Greek view that's what the Greeks believed. Everything spiritual was good. Everything physical was bad. But that's not the complete biblical picture. Our souls, and I'm just talking about this, the spirit part, that, that which flows in our, our blood, in and of itself, it is very complex. And even before the fall, it was complex. There's an idea that's operating in the background here that most of us will have a tendency to miss. 
In Hebrew, they will describe your soul as having two roots. So let, let me show you two terms. You don't need to remember. I'm just trying to introduce them to you. So you have the Yetzer HaTov and the Yetzer HaRa. A Yetzer is, we translate it usually today as inclination or tendency towards. But I really like the original Hebrew. It's a root. So you have a part of your soul that's going to grow in a certain direction. So I, I was thinking of this the other day. I, I know this is where they get it. In, in Hebrew, you've, you've seen uh, onions, right? If you leave them in your pantry too long. I, I don't know how in the world it does it, but this little bulb will decide to grow towards the light. How does it know to do that? I mean, where, where does it get its strength to do that, right? It doesn't have roots. It doesn't have water. It doesn't have soil. It just it decides to grow. So that's, that's what they're talking about, that you have this part of you, this yetzer, that's going to naturally grow towards the light. You know, the bulb is going to try to grow up through the ground and reach to the light. Or you have this part of you that's called the yetzer hara. So the, the inclination that is good, hatov, the good, or the yetzer hara, uh, the inclination or the root that is bad. And that's the part that's going to grow down. It's going to go sort of into the dark. It's, it's going to get uh, deeper. In your soul, you have both of these. Now, instead of saying one is good and one is bad, even though that's what they say, they're, they're designed to be uh, combined. Is sexual attraction an evil thing? No, it's not. God designed that for us. That's part of the roots that grow out of us. It's fine. It's good. It's a blessing. It was meant to be. Adam and Eve see each other and they like each other. That's how they produce. This is one of the perks that God gave us to be people. But the problem is exactly what we're seeing here. If you use your, your root in the wrong way, in the wrong place, what happens? This is what happens. This is why they're focusing so so much on this, that David is not where a king should be. Uh, David is not in front of the ark. David is not using his gifts and abilities. In a sense, he's taken that part of his soul that's growing towards the light, and he's setting it aside. And he's taking that part of him that's growing roots that's going down deep, that's going to stabilize him. I mean, the yetzer itself is not bad. Um, to, to love your wife is not bad. He's just loving somebody else's wife. So I, I just introduced that <clears throat> because the, the scripture, and there's even more to say about the soul. I mean, it is, it is incredibly complex. But we sort of know that, trying to manage our own soul. So a lot of times, instead of you know, just saying, well, this is good, this is bad, there are bad things because we're using them in the wrong place, in, in the wrong time. Uh, sometimes it is righteous to fight. Sometimes it is righteous to get angry. Sometimes it is righteous um, to tear down things. But it always has to be in combination with the other side, the good, in the right place at the right time. If David fights, 
He needs to fight for God. If David solves a problem through flanking it, it's got to be for God. Here, his, they would say his Yetzer HaTov is completely gone, and it's the Yetzer HaRa that's completely taken over. So I, I hope that helps a little bit, at least introduce you to a deeper world. Yeah. What questions do you have? Questions? Well, basically, uh, he gave in to temptation because he was in the wrong spot. Exactly. And, and I think there's even one more layer that we can, you know, we, so at what moment is the choice made that it just psh, sends David into a tailspin whenever he takes her? Yeah, that's same with Eve. It wasn't, it, it, it wasn't as if the wheels were falling off until then, but there's two things that happened before. And I think that that can can kind of help us when we're dealing with temptation. Like, why am I de- why am I struggling with this choice right now? Well, what about your desires? You know, that disordered desires is what kind of got David in the bind in the first place, right? He was not desiring his wife. He was desiring, as Kurt said, somebody else's wife. What does that say about you? And and then that takes you back to the next question is, where are you? Like going back to the Garden of Eden, like why was Eve even in the first place literally hanging around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What tree should she have been at least moving towards? The tree of life, the ark, right? And so it's like being in God's presence. That's hopefully whenever God says, where are you? You're able to say that, right? God, I'm here. I'm with you. I am allowing you to define what is good and what is evil. In this story, who is defining what is good and what is evil? David. It is David. That's a problem, right? And that's where those disordered desires come in. Um, Psalm 131 that we pray regularly. This is David in his, you're always curious, did he write this psalm before or after this? (laughs) My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. Did David have haughty eyes in this story? Absolutely. Right? So it's like you got to, Temptation, he's like, oh, it just comes all of a sudden. No, temptation rears its ugly head when we are not in God's presence. Right? That is when you are vulnerable. So if you're making a huge mistake, I think the lesson of David is to stop. Yeah. He tried to get him home, didn't work, tried to get him drunk, it didn't work. So the third time, we'll finish up real quick. Verse 14, so the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah at the front line where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. David sends this letter that's an execution notice with Uriah back. That's, that's pretty cold. In uh, this whole process. So again, this natural gift that God gave David, not to match strength with strength, helped him kill Goliath. 
he's now using in his, on his own terms to eliminate the problem. He's going to kill a man who not only has been loyal to him, but has proved to be righteous. A Gentile that has <clears throat> been more faithful here than David. Also, David will not get caught, won't get in trouble, won't have to face what he's done. This will haunt David the rest of his life. We'll have to pick up next week with the rest of it, but if your root is growing down and there's no, uh, <laughs> uh, there's no balance with you growing up, uh, you, you just got to stop. As, as bad as it is, he's just... He's making it worse. He's shedding innocent blood. And unfortunately, it won't be the last. Uriah is not the only one that will die because of this. So, hard story, but if we can learn from David's mistakes, um, God is interested in what we do at Bible study, but he's also interested in what we do in the bedroom. It's It matters. All of it matters. So, questions? I have to say, I do feel like at least he had an element of modern of, of godliness that he didn't want to make Bathsheba and make it. Because most kids at that time. It's true, it's true. We'll take care of the problem one way Yeah. And unfortunately, there, there are, we know from medical texts, a lot of ways that they had to abort babies or try to abort babies. Um, and David just could easily have killed her. But I, I, he, he, we'll see very quickly, he will marry Bathsheba. So, you know, he's, so yeah. But it's dark, I think, to kill, kill the husband. I mean, do, do you allow the, the heaviness of the irony to, to sink in that David trusted Uriah so much that he sent his own orders for execution with him? Yeah, it's like. Stunning. Now, what would have happened if Uriah had shared that letter with David's mercenaries? David had been in trouble. Yeah. Big warnings in this story is what a thing the human mind can be been left to its own price. Yeah. You mentioned David was defining right and wrong. No, he wasn't. He was attempting to define right and wrong for his own purposes, but right and wrong don't change. That's correct. Yeah. We think it does. But it doesn't. Because what, 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 what did David in the story think was good? Mesheba. Yeah. Yeah. Taking Bathsheba, the forbidden just fruit. like just how Eve thought taking the fruit was going to be good. Well, it kind of one of my favorite things I used to tell the kids when I hung out with the mushrooms in the basement: sin doesn't come with a warning label. Temptation doesn't come with a warning label. When you make the decision to stay home from war, these are the things that are going to happen. There you go. Yeah. If you take a bite out of this piece of fruit. These are no. Then give us that. He says, "This is what I want. Go do it." That's all we get. Good. So continue to ask that question: Am I in the place that God wants me to be? 
I guess one final thought. Did you see the footage of the shooting in Lubbock um, between, um, it, it was a custody dispute where a boyfriend ends up shooting a husband who was trying to pick up his child. It was, it's unbelievably bad. And, you know, the Lubbock, uh, again, getting more press. But in, in so many ways, it reminds me of this story. You know, how does it come that God gave us this ability to love and to have children, and then you have two men killing each other? Uh, and it's all on camera. I mean, it's just as brutal as you can imagine. And as you say, when we make the rules, it's, it's a nightmare. It's it's worse than any demon ever dreamt of being, and it's it's us. So be in the right place. Use your gifts as God has intended them to use. Love as God intended you to love, and you'll have an incredible life. But we start making it up on our own, going to our own places, and a lot of people suffer, not the least of which is us. So any last comments? I appreciate your comments, questions. Yeah. Yeah, just one thing, you know, it started with him obviously not going to the Lord one day. He chose to look. He chose to sit there and to sit there and be, you know, enamorized by as she just looks. I think, you know, especially in this culture where we have access to so much mess. Yeah. It's really important. And, you know, he could have turned off at that moment and said, I'll go back in the house. But he didn't. watched. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even think the looking initially was the problem because again, we're hardwired that way, right? Naked woman, of course you're going to notice. What? But you you got to stop it at that point. And then as you say, go in the house. I mean, David, how many wives does he have? I mean, it's, you push a button and you have a wife, okay? Uh, he he could solve this problem, but um, it's when you give into it. I think that uh, you talked about David using the end around in fighting war. Right. He used the end around there also. Yes. I mean, he, that's his mentality, no matter if it's good or evil. That's right. He that's good. The same mentality from the end around. So the gift God gives you, if you misuse it, you can become a monster. Yeah. 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 So like Brent, I've, I've you know, counseled uh, men who are struggling with pornography. And it's like, what are you willing? What are you willing to do to help break your 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 addiction to that? And you counsel people. Well, the phone is a big problem. Like for a lot of people, it's a big problem. And it's just like you say, well, you need to get rid of the problem. And you talk about rationalizing needing your phone, right? Oh, there's ways to 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 live your life without your phone or with a different kind of phone or or something. But invariably, the initial response when you're talking to guys is like, no way. Well, what are you willing to do to avert your eyes to that which is truly good? You can't just say, "Okay, I'm going to stop this." Well, it's because you're in a wrong, you're in the wrong place in the first place, right? You know, you back out. Why? Why am I in this wrong place? And yeah. Well, let's pray, Father our God. We are humble today. We know that we are blessed like David. We are gifted in many, many ways. We thank you for the warning today that our gifts can be twisted, can lead us in temptation and suffering before we know it. Father God, help us 
to continue to know our GPS from your position, from God's position, where are we located? What are we doing? What do you want us to do? If David can stumble like this, we know we are vulnerable as well. So help us today to continue to know that the Garden of Eden is set up for us now. The two trees are there, the serpent is whispering, and we see that beautiful thing that we want. We've been warned, we've been taught. Let us find the strength within us from you to resist it. We know that you have put women in our lives. If we're blessed to have the wife, we know that you've given her to us. So help us always to love her as the great gift that she is. Father, we say also, if we stumble, if we trip, we know from your word that the story is not over. You will not turn your back on us. You'll continue to work to frustrate our ways to get out of it so that we can face it and overcome it. Help us, O Lord, to really guard our hearts, to guard our minds, to control our eyes and not let our eyes control us. We know we will see many things that tempt us, but we know we have the power to choose something other. So bless these men. Bless us as we do our best to be in the right place, to be the right men, and be the strength that our world needs. Help us. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace, brothers. Have a good week.